you. Good morning. You can be seated. I want to welcome those of you that are joining us online. We're so glad that you are. Real quick before we get started, though, I want to mention for those of you here that this Tuesday, uh, 7 p.m., that's September 6th, uh, here in the sanctuary is going to be our prayer meeting. We would really encourage you to come and join with us. Sure hope you do. Uh, Today, We continue in our verse-by-verse study through 1 Peter, and Lord willing, we'll complete chapter 1. Our text will be verses 10 through 25. And if you're able, I'll ask you to stand. You can follow along as I read. If not, where you're seated is fine. Got a little bit of ground to cover here, but we can do this. That wasn't very convincing, but that's all right. So verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, verse 13, this is very important. Prepare your minds for action. Some of your translations render it, gird the loins of your mind. Be self-controlled, sober. Don't be under the influence. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, verse 14, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know, verse 18, that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, aimless, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb, without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him, verse 21, you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable 
through the living and enduring Word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you. Wow. <laughs> Let's pray, if you would please join with me. Oh Lord, we love Your Word. We love Your Word. Your Word will stand forever. Lord, today we are here for one reason, and that reason is that we want to hear You speak in that still small voice into our lives, because You know everything about our lives. You know everything that we're going through, the hardships, the difficulty, the discouragement, the weariness. And so Lord, I thank You that You care, that You speak to those matters in our lives to encourage us, to strengthen us, and to give us that hope, that hope in You. So Lord, I pray that today you'll do just that. That this would be a message of hope and encouragement, especially for those who are really hurting. So we ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So what I want to talk with you about today is what we as Christians can and should do when we find ourselves in the valley of despair, as we affectionately refer to it. And the reason I'm kind of going in this direction after spending quite a bit of time in the text that's before us today, it really struck me that Peter, by the Holy Spirit, is writing this to encourage believers who were going through, at the time, extreme persecution. And that's, in all fairness, really an understatement. The, the kind of things they were going through at this time was horrific, unspeakable, unthinkable. The intense persecution and, and suffering. And so he's wanting to encourage them. And God, by the Holy Spirit, inspires him to write this encouragement, this, this letter of hope, to give them hope, because many of them were losing hope. And their hopelessness was giving way to despair. Many of them were just hanging on. This is what I love about God's Word. <laughs> wherever you're at in the Word of God is wherever you're at in your life, because God's Word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You know how it is that when you're going through a difficult time in your life, and you open up the Word of God, and it's like a passage that you've read a thousand times before, just leaps off the page. And it's like while you were sleeping that night, somebody put your name in the text. It wasn't there before, but now it is. <laughs> it's kind of like, JD, wow, Lord, this is for me. I know. Yeah, but this was written almost 2,000 years ago. No, but this is for you. Oh, I need this, Lord. Oh, I need this, Lord. 
So in preparation for teaching the rest of this chapter, I sensed from the Lord that these were reminders. This was a reminder of sorts, really four reminders is what I found. You might find more, but four reminders that all of us need, especially when the intensity and the enormity of the trial overwhelms us. You know, when you're in the midst of it, sometimes you just forget. And that's what I believe the Apostle Peter, inspired by the Spirit, is doing here, is he's wanting to remind us that no matter how bad it gets or how bad it is, it cannot and will never change how good God always is. So the first one, when in the valley of despair, verses 10 through 12, look forward to God's plan. Now here, Peter is reminding them, very interesting, of the prophets of old who longed to be alive at the time of Christ. And here's why. Everything they did pointed to Christ. And they were in a way, in a sanctified way, envious of these Christians, because everything they did, everything they wrote about, their whole ministry, the calling that God had on their life, all of their prophecies pointed to the person of Jesus Christ. And then it wasn't for them then, it was for the Christians now, and for them in the early church. And they, again, in a sanctified way, longed to be alive at the time that the early church was alive. All the prophets pointed to both Christ's first coming as the suffering servant, and second coming as the conquering king, the king of kings. And Peter is reminding them of this to redirect their focus and our focus to the bigger prophetic picture of what all of this points to. I've often said it and seen it like this, that when you know what you have to look forward to, it makes whatever you're going through easier to get through. And we need to be reminded of that. Because when you're in the midst of a fiery trial, you tend to focus entirely on the trial, on the difficulty. And I think we would do well to step back, say, wait a minute, <laughs> let me see the bigger picture of what's going on here. What's this about? Well, it points you, it redirects you. It's an appointment, if I can say it like that. And the reason I say it like that is because in the original language of the Hebrew Old Testament, the appointed times that pointed to, these were signs or feasts. In Hebrew, it's Moad, same word in my native uh, tongue of Arabic, Moad. Now stay with me on this, very important. If I were to say to you in Arabic, Ana andi Moad ma'akum, I just told you that I have an appointment with you. 
we have scheduled an appointment, Moad, that points to a time yet future, the appointed time. Moad, appointment. That's what Peter's saying. This was all appointed. And it points to the first coming of Christ, and then the second coming of Christ. And when you point to and redirect the attention of your focus to Jesus, and take your eyes off of the hardship and the pain and the difficulty, it changes everything. Because when you're in the midst of it, being crushed by it, all you can think about is how difficult it is. You need to get your eyes off the problem and redirect your eyes to the plan that God has in and through this problem. What does this point to? All that you're going through, it points to Jesus. I think of Isaiah who said, happy is he, he will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. And that's actually what we're going to see here in these next few verses, the second one in verses 13 through 17. I'll need to explain this, so bear with me. But when you're in the valley of despair, you need to come under God's influence. And it's a, it's a battleground in the mind. And what Peter is saying here is that instead of coming under the influence of worldliness, we come under the influence of holiness. Now, whenever you say holy or holiness, what comes to mind? I mean, you, ha you have all these pictures painted on the canvas of your mind about what holy, oh. Well, that's too bad, because holiness is wholeness and apartness, in the sense of being separate and temperate, having readied and steadied our minds. Now, he says, gird the loins of your minds, better understood as ready and prepare your minds. Be sober-minded, discipline your mind, be at the ready in your mind, because that's where the battleground is. See, when you're in the midst of a trial, what happens? You're just in your mind, you're manufacturing all these horrific scenarios. I call them what ifs. You know what I'm talking about? What if this happens? Then if that happens, what if that happens? And then we, in our minds, we have this powerful propensity to go down that road as far as we'll allow the enemy to take us down that road of what ifs. And what's happening when you do that is you've come under the influence of the world. That's how the world thinks. Don't be under the influence. Don't live under the influence of worldliness. Live under the influence of holiness. Be holy as God is holy. Now, if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, whenever I read passages that talk about, be holy because I'm God and I'm holy. I'm like, okay, I'll be holy. <laughs> Sorry. It's not like that. Don't let the enemy do that. 
What God is saying is, I don't want you to be half. I don't want you to be three quarters. I want you to be whole. I want you to be set apart for me, like me. I, I, I love you so much, and it's, it's, I can't stand it, as your loving Heavenly Father, to see you suffer needlessly. Come under the influence of holiness. This is of paramount importance. And I need to spend a little bit of time on this, because it speaks to what I would argue is one of the most powerful principles in all of Scripture. And it has to do with the mind. The first one I want to draw your attention to is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. You know this well. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, sound mind carries with it the idea of a disciplined mind. So we discipline our children, right? We need to discipline our mind. It's a discipline, because sometimes our, our minds get out of control, and they do bad things. And so we've got to discipline them because our mind is taking us down a road that leads us to fear. And fear is the antithesis of faith. So our, our, our minds now, the battleground again, have this proclivity, undisciplined, under the influence of worldliness, when we're in the midst of a fiery trial, to take us down the wrong road. So what's the solution? Romans 12, verse 2. <laughs> when we were going through Romans many years ago now, <clears throat> for those of you that were with us in our verse by verse study through Romans, I think it took us like two years. I'm so sorry, by the way, that it took so long. But when we got to chapter 12, uh, verse 2 specifically, I had to go back and reteach it. And even then, I still walked away from it going, I still, that you could, anyway, you could just do two years on verse 2. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says by the Holy Spirit. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay. How? Oh, you've heard of brainwashing. It's not brainwashing. It's washing your brain. Was that too much? Was, can I, if you got a better illustration, I'm more than happy to use it. But it's a cleansing of, a renewing of your mind with the water of God's Word. I'm coming under the influence of God's Word, not the influence of the world. I think if the truth be made known, we would be so convicted if we were able to see how often it is that 
when we go through a difficult time, our default is worldly. Our default is worldly. It's, it's so easy to fall into that worldly rut, as it were, where you start thinking in certain ways. And by the way, that does you no good when you're in the battle. I find it interesting that the armor in Ephesians 6, which everybody seems to know about and talk about and preach about and quote and post on social media. Uh, I'm not trying to be derogatory, but uh, th that is a powerful passage of Scripture, by the way. And I, I'm saddened sometimes when, and we're going to see this here in a moment, it's been profaned. What do you mean? Now, when you hear the word profane, what comes to mind? Profanity. You know, that's, you know, swearing and cussing. No, it's not. It's like worldliness. We, we have these definitions, these worldly definitions that have redefined what the word means. Holiness, holiness. Oh. No. What, what does the word uh, mean profane? Profane. It means to make common make common, just like everything else. That's what the word profane means. It's a, it's a profaning, a marring, a spoiling, making common the sacred. And we do that. It's, it's profane. We're, we're bringing God down to this level, the world's level, and we've profaned the holiness of God. So how do you get out of that worldly rut? It's a renewing of your mind. It's the Word of God. You get into the Word, the Word gets into you. You know, uh, I was just uh, thinking about this this last week. In fact, I just yesterday was inquiring of the Lord concerning this. You know, there are people under the banner of Christianity, by the way, who are scrutinizing the Scriptures. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, you're the judge of what the Scriptures say? I think it's the other way around. The Scriptures are the judge of you. Well, you're reading the Word. How about the Word is reading you? I'm studying the Word. How about the Word is studying you? I'm searching the Scriptures. How about those Scriptures are searching you? We've got to turn it around. We've got it upside down. That's the discipline. We're, we're, our minds have been conformed, programmed, can I say that? I just did, <laughs> to this world. We've, we've fully cooperated with the world coming under the influence of the world by conforming to the world. I need to get out of that. How do I get out of that? Well, you need to be transformed. How does that happen? By the renewing of your mind. How does the renewing of your mind take place? By the Word of God. The Word of God. Um, bear with me. 
you might be here today or watching online, you're going through the trial of your life. And I get it. I've been there more times than I care to remember or talk about. But it's so painful. It's hard to even pray, let alone read the Word of God. So because I'm more of an auditory learner, I will listen and hear instead of read. I'm an auditory. Some people are more visual, but I'm really auditory. By the way, you know someone's an auditory learner when you see them like at Costco and they're talking to themselves. (laughs) Never mind. Again, if you have a better example, I'm happy to use it. But what they're doing is they're saying out loud, uh, cheese, uh, steak. Are you hungry? I am. But they're saying it out loud because they've got to hear it to remember. Otherwise they'll forget. That's an auditory dynamic that's taking place. So faith comes by hearing and hearing the, the Word of God. Well, wouldn't it stand to reason then that so too would fear come by not hearing? In other words, if, if I'm fearful and given over to despair, I wonder what is the dominant influence in my life? Who has my ear, so to speak? What am I listening to? No wonder. No wonder. I mean, no wonder you're in such despair and discouragement and depression and anxiety and fear and worry and consternation and all the above. What are you listening to? What are you influenced by? Who has your attention? Who has your ear? Who is and what is speaking into your life? Because that is what you're conforming to. So we need a paradigm shift here. We need to get back into the Word and let the Word of God renew and transform and wash and cleanse and purify my mind. And it can be as simple as just listening and hearing the Word of God, just hearing it. Because see, you get into the Word and the Word gets into you, and then it begins that transformation. And it starts with the mind and what you think about. One last thing before I move on. It's Philippians chapter 4. This is another well-known passage of Scripture, verses 6 through 8. It's been a, uh, in my life, God has used it in a powerful way (laughs) over the years when it comes to worry, (laughs) because I'm a professional worrier. I have a PhD in worry. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's on my resume. I'm really good at it. I'm I'm so good at it that if I run out of things to worry about in my own life, I'll ask you about something that I can worry about in your life. That's how good I am at it. It's been said that worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you never get anywhere. (laughs) Well, the Apostle Paul, I'm going to just paraphrase it. He basically says this, you want to worry about no thing? Thank God for everything and pray about anything. And if you'll do that, the peace of God from the God of peace will keep your heart and mind 
in Christ. And verse 8, he starts to list now these things that we're to think on. Because as the Proverbs say, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Listen, if I'm thinking the ways of the world, the way the world thinks, no wonder. I need to renew my mind and think on those things that are pure and peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated, of a good report, pure things, pure things, good things. And what will happen is when you start thinking like that, the transformation, the renewing takes place. See, when we're not thinking like that, we begin to give in to fear and despair. When we do think like that, and that transformation and renewing of our mind takes place by the Word of God, then all of a sudden we've, we've allowed God now into that situation, and it changes everything. Because see, now God says, wait a minute, uh, that's what the world says. That's living under the influence of the world. I want you to live under the influence of holiness. Holiness comes, I know this is going to be deeply profound, a holy life comes by the Holy Spirit. Did you make that connection? Holy life, Holy Spirit. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to muster up holiness. Okay, I'm going to try to be more holy. How's that working out for you? I'll make it about a minute and 28 seconds, I think is my record. <laughs> no, it's not like that at all. It's the Holy Spirit indwelling you, living out in you instead of you the holy life by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we do. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. You know how it is before you came to Christ, you tried to pick up a Bible, and, and hopefully you didn't pick up a King James Bible, because that would have been horrible, right? Thee, thy, thou. I mean, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I know we've got a, a lot of people that um, love the King James. I, I probably should say that for any that are King James only, uh, never mind. I don't know why I even went there, but uh, Stop. Just please stop. Is that? Stop. 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 It's the only inspired version? Really? Well, just stop. Okay. Well, you went there, so okay. Help me, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's like, you're on your own. No, not necessarily. Um, you know, uh, w w one last uh, thought on the King James only, and I, maybe this is for somebody. You know what that does and that says? You are making the Word of God unattainable, so you can't understand it. When you say, this is the only version of the Bible that is inspired. When I came to Christ, I so much brain damage from my lifestyle. I'm not proud of it. I'm not exaggerating when I say this. I, I, 
my vocabulary was reduced to just a very limited, you know, uh, number of words. And my brain had been damaged. God has certainly restored over the years that which the locusts have eaten, so to speak. But I had to, I didn't have a Bible. I went out and got a good news Bible. Remember those? And I mean, it, even that was a stretch for me. But thank God for that. It wasn't even really a translation. It was more of a paraphrase, but I needed that. And it took me about six months to read through the Bible the first time. And I started in Genesis. I was sharing on Thursday night. You probably shouldn't start in Genesis, especially if you're a blank slate, because then you get to Exodus and then Leviticus, and then you get to those uh, sacrifices and you start thinking, man, every time I sin, I got to sacrifice an animal. That's a lot of livestock. Uh, do churches do that? And you're driving by churches to see if they have livestock in the parking lot, and they don't. And then you get um, past Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, all the way through to Malachi. And you get to the New Testament and the Gospel of Matthew. And you're like, oh, I get it now. Yes. Thank God for a Bible that I could understand. Jesus is the sacrifice. That's why there's no animals at churches in the parking lot, because Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. And the problem with King James only, you're going to struggle to understand. And it's almost akin to what the Catholic Church did, keeping the Bible in Latin, literally chained to the pulpits of those Catholic churches, so the common folk could not read it for themselves. That's what King James only is to me. I love King James. A lot of my scripture memorization is King James. And I'll oftentimes refer to King James. Well, what kind of Bible do you have? And what, what, do you, what version are you using? Answer, all of them. What do you mean? Well, on my Bible software application, I have something like 30-some Bibles and counting. So I refer to the different translations. And for me personally, I love what one pastor said at a conference. I know I'm totally digressing, but we'll come back to the sermon already in progress in a moment. But maybe this is again for somebody here. I remember a pastor many years ago at a pastor's conference say, I am NIV positive. And a hush went over the crowd. <laughs> Wait, what? He said, yeah, I just... Now, let me qualify that. The one I have is the 1984. The 2011, uh-uh. Sorry. NASB, 1995. NIV, 1984. King James Version, 1611. <laughs> ESV, RSV, the list is uh, on and on. Anyway, please don't do that. Don't do that to especially young believers or non-believers, because if you make the King James Bible the only inspired version of the Bible, you're actually creating the very thing you're wanting to avoid, which is getting people into the Word of God. So please don't do that. Okay. 
I'm done. Some of you are like, thank you, Jesus. He's done with that one. Let's move on to number three in verses 18 through 21. When you're in the valley of despair, reflect on God's faithfulness. This is perhaps one of the more difficult ones, especially when you're in the heat of the battle. You just aren't thinking about all those times before where God delivered you in the past. I think about David when he's up against Goliath, and he's trying to actually convince Saul to let him go and defeat this uncircumcised Philistine that is blaspheming the name of their God. And that's not okay. And here's Saul trying to (laughs) give him his armor. Can you imagine? It's believed that David was probably in his teens at the time. And we know from Scripture that Saul was tall, head and shoulders above everybody else. When he was selected to be king and anointed to be king, the first king of Israel. So here's this tall man giving his armor to this young kid. Here it's hanging all over him, and he can't move. And he even tells Saul, "Um, Saul, you know, listen, with all due respect, this is not my color. I'm an autumn. (laughs) No, this does not fit. This is, I, 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 I can't, I can't use this. Saul, here's the thing. God delivered into my hands, God delivered into my hands, a lion and a bear. And if God in the past can deliver me from the lion and the bear, this uncircumcised Philistine is nothing. In other words, you're looking to the past faithfulness of God in the present, and you can even fast forward into the future, because He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And all of those times, did you forget? At the 11th hour, what is it about the 11th hour that God is so attracted to? I mean, 11.59 and 59 seconds, and then God pulls through. Sometimes He lets you go past. And you've heard the expression, well, I'm just keeping my head above water. Well, God's like, well, you know, the greater miracle is for me to uh, miraculously make you breathe underwater. No! That's a greater miracle, isn't it? Watch me now. Remember the faithfulness of God in the past? What? Is he, is he like, hey, listen, I've done my part. Okay, I, I, it's up to you now. I delivered you from the bear and the lion. Now it's up to you. No. God is going to deliver you. He is faithful. And I think we would do well to remember (laughs) the faithfulness of God. I mean, Peter is saying that you're born again. Live like it. There's been times in my walk with the Lord where I'm just fretting and fearing and worrying and striving and just, wow, God. And, and it's like the Lord just reminding me, did you lose your salvation or what? It's like, you're saved. What are you doing? Oh yeah, that's right. I'm saved. What in the world? 
That's what Peter is saying. You're born again, redeemed. Act like it. God was faithful then to redeem you when you were wandering aimlessly. You were lost and He saved you. Remember that? Yeah. Okay. Here's an example. Again, if you got a better one, let me know. Happy to, you know, consider it. But this is as, as good as it gets and the best I got. So if you don't like it, build a bridge and get over it, as my wife always tells me. So you mean to tell me that God saved you and redeemed you when you called upon Him, believed in Him, and you're trusting in the faithfulness and the goodness of God to save you from eternity in hell. And you can't trust Him for this month's rent. In what world does that make any sense? If God did that for you, is there anything He would not do for you? <laughs> Jesus said as much. And the Apostle Paul echoes it. It basically goes like this. This is the promise. If God would not withhold His only begotten Son, but would give you His only begotten Son to die for you, is there anything that He would withhold from you? I mean, if God's going to do that for you, and God did that for you, what was your problem again? What are you freaking out about again? If He did that, is there anything that He won't do for you? If it's going to glorify God, and if it's good, He's going to do it. If it's not good, He won't do it, and you don't want Him to. It's again that principle. I'm sorry, I'm yelling and spitting again. We got free baptisms today. <laughs> baptisms are always free. But God answers our prayers the same exact way we would answer our own prayers if we knew what He knew. And this is why we say things like, I'm so thankful for the answered prayer, but I'm also equally thankful for the prayers that God did not answer. For those of you that keep a prayer list, have you ever gone back over those? I've been doing it for 30 years, from back in the 80s. Don't look at me weird and everything. That was a long time ago. But I, I go back and I read those prayer requests, and I'm like, thank you, God, for not answering that prayer. Had you answered that prayer that way, the way I prayed it, it would have been catastrophic. And God's like, I know. That's why I didn't answer it. Thank you, God. Oh my goodness. But then you go back over those prayer lists, and you look at all the times that God answered your prayers. I'll tell you, it, it, it does something to you. It strengthens you, and it just snaps you back. You come to your senses. What was I thinking? God, you're so faithful. Even when I'm faithless, you are faithful. Uh, one last thing, and we'll bring it to the last one. But um, <laughs> the year was 1995. And I had my own business at the time, and I was 
closing out the year and going over my books. And, uh, and I kind of cross-referenced it with my prayer list. And, and I look back over, you know, some months where I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be in the black this month. <laughs> and I worried about it. Oh, again, I told you, I'm very good at worrying. So I counted 95 things I worried about in 1995, and I wrote them out. I'm, I'm not kidding. 95 things. I did it in Microsoft Word at the time, because that's right when Windows came out, remember? 95 things that I worried about in 1995. Do you know how many of those 95 things that I worried about happened in 1995? Zero. And then you start getting angry, kind of like all those nights I stayed up tossing and turning and worrying about this thing. It didn't happen. You almost feel like you're ripped off. All that worrying is for, for never mind. What's your point? My point is this. Go back over those 95 things from 1995 in your life and reflect on them and the faithfulness of God. Because here you are in 2022, and you're looking back on, maybe it's not 1995, if you weren't even born then, <laughs> whatever, but <laughs> you're too young. But uh, maybe it's a different year for you. And you remember it like it was yesterday. And God was faithful. You need to remind yourself of the faithfulness of God. Here's the last one, and it's a biggie. Verses 22 through 25. When you're in the valley of despair, trust fully in God's Word. If you were to ask me what I thought was one of the most important reminders in our valleys of despair, this would have to be it. Simply put, I need to be reminded that I am born again of an imperishable seed through both the living and enduring Word of God. And the Apostle Peter, quoting the Word, says, everything's going to fade away. The earth is going to fade away. The flowers, everything is going to fade away. But there's going to be one thing that will never fade away, that will last forever. And that's the Word of God. Do you see where I'm going with this in closing? The Word of God will never fail. The Word of God will never fail you. You know what the Word of God is, right? It's God's Word. Again, I know deeply profound. God has given you His Word, and He won't, and can't, not won't, He can't go back on His Word. He's given you His Word. It's yea and amen. You can take it to the bank. Actually, don't take it to the bank right now. <laughs> not, never mind. That was the prophecy update. <laughs> There's not going to be banks much longer. But anyway, I, said, ah, I digress. <laughs> it's actually funny because, well, it's not really funny, but it means only one thing. 
Jesus is coming, man. <laughs> you look at what's happening right now with the world economy, cashless economy. <sighs> oh, it's, it's very soon. I thought it was, it was, it's not, but it could be. Okay. Let me uh, bring it in for a landing here. Um, he's given you His Word. He's promised you, and it will come to pass. He will never fail you. If God has given you His Word, and He has, then you can know and trust fully in the Word of God. You know, sometimes and it's hard because, again, it's even hard to pray. I remember times in my life where it's just liquid prayers. You can't pray. You're, all you can do is cry. And at best you might get a moan or a groan out. Well, those are powerful prayers, by the way. Sometimes they're even more powerful than the prayers with words. Because God hearkens into the voice of our cry. But there's been times where, I mean, you're hanging on to the Word of God. And God will bring into your remembrance a passage of Scripture. Psalm 27, 13 and 14 is the one that He would always bring into my remembrance when I'm just, I'm unable to pray. I can't read the Word. All I can do is just moan and groan and cry and weep and wail. And David says in that Psalm that he had almost given up all hope and given in to despair. But, he says, I, I almost gave in and lost hope, were it not for my confidence and trust in the goodness of God, that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. In other words, God has given me His Word, and I almost gave up all hope in my despair. But I was reminded of this one truth, that God has given me His Word, and He's going to bring good out of this. I don't know how He's going to do it. I don't know when He's going to do it. I don't know the way He's going to do it. I just know by faith that He's going to do it, because God is good. God is good. And I could trust Him, no matter how bad it is. And then He starts giving himself a good talking to. Talk about discipline in your mind. Sit down, boy. We need to talk. Time out, if you prefer. He says, you be of good courage, and you wait, and you be strong, and you wait on the Lord. Just wait. You'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. How do you know? Because he's given me his word. He's promised me. And he can't go back on his word. And he can't break a promise. So God promised me that he will bring good out of this. So I'm going to trust him. He's given me his word. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to have to wait. We all hate to wait. That's a whole other sermon for another time. You've already heard that sermon, haven't you? We hate to wait, but just wait. You'll see what God's going to do. Yeah, but this is really bad. Ah, you'll, you'll see. Yeah, but it's not looking good. But God is good, and God will bring good 
because He can't not bring good. He's given you His Word. You trust in His Word. It will never fail. It will never fail. God will have the final word. God will have the final word. He rules over all and overrules all. And He'll burst into that situation, that despair, that, that trial. He'll burst in, burst on the scene. No need to fear. God is here. Oh, all right. Okay. Wait, one, one last thing. Did I say one last thing yet? Okay, one last thing. This is it. I promise. I promise. And I can't go back on the promise <laughs> that this is the last thing. Getting back to David, I, this is an issue. And I'll explain what I mean by this. So I've done it myself. We, we've all heard sermons and teachings about David, you know, defeating your giants. Okay, wait a minute. Um, I'm not David. Jesus is David. The battle belongs to the Lord. He's going to defeat the giant. He's the one that gets all the glory. David is a type of Jesus. David is a type of Christ who slays the giants in our lives that are tormenting us and torturing us. He's the one who slays them. He's going to burst into that valley of Elah, that valley of despair. Many of you have been there that have gone to Israel with us, and you've taken and picked the five stones. That's okay. I did the same thing. I got a beautiful collection of five stones that I'm convinced were the actual stones that David used, but minus one, I guess, because it was embedded in. Anyway, so, um, but he's going to burst into that situation after 40 days and 40 nights. And as a type of David, Jesus is going to go into that battlefield and He's going to the final word. He's going to shut up that uncircumcised Philistine. You know the one you've been listening to? The one that's blaspheming the name of your God? The one that, that is so terrifying and you're paralyzed by fear? Jesus is going to burst into that situation, into that valley. And he's going to slay that, that giant for you instead of you. And He's going to have the final word. He's going to, just wait, you'll see. Why don't you stand? We'll pray, David, if you'll come on up. Father in heaven, I, oh man, <laughs> it was a, there was a lot here, but Lord, you, you, as only you can, can take this and minister this to anyone who's really hurting that is truly in that valley of despair. Lord, would you burst into that scene, into that situation, into that valley? Show yourself faithful. Lord, thank you. We love you so much. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>